Well, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to talk about new members, but I, I wanted to thank you and identify a few weeks ago, I asked, hey, uh, I want to encourage you as much as possible, when possible, to come in on time, and well done, you're doing better, there's still room for improvement, we recognize that, and it's a, you can laugh a little bit, it's okay, nobody's in trouble, uh, but um, uh, seriously, thank you for that, uh, it's, it's always good to be able to worship together. Well, today is a special day for multiple reasons. One of those is that we get to celebrate new members, and membership is kind of a big deal uh, at Friendship Church for a few reasons. One of those, though, we recognize that people, as they come in, go, hey, we, we see a likeness in heart and mind and spirit and direction, and we want to join with this fellowship to move in, those, in that same direction. And uh, we want to formalize that relationship, and so that allows people to be able to vote on matters within the church, and in many cases, being able to serve in some places where they wouldn't be able to uh, otherwise. So uh, today is a day where we recognize new members, and so we have this slide up, and just want to take a few moments and identify them, and then we're going to uh, pray together, and at the end of the service, there is strawberry shortcake available for all of us to enjoy. And I've been told that it's negative calories. I don't know how that works, uh, but I don't question uh, especially those kind of answers. So let's go ahead and look through our new members. So we have Chandler and Anastasia Hutton, uh, Jason and Jenny Hebert, Linda Ludeman, Joseph Claire, Troy Hagen, uh, Rob and Mary Gray, Ken and Robin Running Hawk, Nikki Watermullen, Jenna Braun, Caleb Kess, and Jen Brummer. Um, we, we can sell, we can give the Lord a praise offering for them. Yeah, that's great. And we recognize that there, there have been members in both services. We don't want to embarrass you or anything like that, so we won't call you out, Caleb. I won't do that to you. So, uh, <clears throat> but uh, we will have an opportunity to visit at the end of the service uh, out there with some strawberry shortcake. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you, and we do praise you. We thank you for uh, our members. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst, that we can join in together and uh, celebrate what you're doing and head in the same direction together. That's pretty special, Lord. And so we acknowledge that, we recognize that, and we, we want to lean into it. We pray for all of our members, Lord, that there would be a tenderness to you, a an urgency to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, a willingness, Lord, to confess sin and to repent of that sin and to call on you quickly. And Lord, for all of us, that we would indeed um, do all we can to give you the glory and the honor. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, hey, just because it looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. Perhaps you know that, but it's not always as intuitive as that. Just because it looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that truth. We're going to see that in just a few moments as we jump into Mark chapter 7. But before we do, maybe it's most identifiable in an, identified in an apple. 
And an apple, of course, it can look great on the outside, but on the inside, it can be rotten. Uh, you might look at the apple and go, oh, this apple looks great, and then open it up and realize it's rotten on the inside, and I am not interested in eating this apple. Recently, I read a couple of articles, one of them from uh, New Zealand from uh, 2015, and this guy, he gets this apple and he opens it up, and there's a spider inside. Like, I have no idea how it got in there. I don't even, I, like, I stopped reading it because it just kind of grossed me out. And I'm like, I, at this point, I still like apples, but if I keep reading this, I might not. Uh, so you have, on the one hand, you have, okay, it looks good on the outside, but it could be rotten on the inside. It could it'd be horrible. It could even taste bad. On the other side, you, you might have something inside the apple that's not supposed to be inside the apple. Uh, read another article from BBC. And uh, a, a man went to the store, at the store, got some apples. As he brought it home, opened it up, he found a razor inside the apple. Well, that's problematic. Uh, so this apple that is supposed to be good for you, that looks good on the outside, on the inside, uh, could even hurt you severely. So we recognize that just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. And we have Dozens and dozens and maybe even thousands and thousands of examples of that. For example, if we were to consider Hollywood, the Golden Globes, the uh, Emmys, the Tonys, they don't have character awards there. Uh, Those awards are about uh, what they do and the fashion that they bring with them uh, in those places because our, our culture might even lean towards it's better to look good on the outside than what's going on on the inside, but we know the reality that just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. You might even think of Bernie Madoff, respected financier, chairman of NASDAQ, philanthropist, uh, supported many charities, but also had the largest Ponzi scheme in American history. In jail, as one guy said, He was rotten on the inside with greed. Just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. There is this tension that occurs that on the one side we live in a world that really celebrates the outside and what we look like. And there is this kingdom of God that says, no, more than what's on the outside is what's going on on the inside And the kingdom of God suggests a different value system, and we see that in this particular passage. If you're not there, Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be uh, as we walk through the first 23 verses together. Let's take a look at it. In this first section, we're we're going to pick it up, uh, and what, uh, well, I'll even back up further. Let's back up further to the very beginning. That's a good place to start. Uh, I heard that in a song sometime uh, ago. Anyways, Jesus, as he, as he comes, comes into his ministry, it's important for Mark to identify who Jesus is. And as Jesus is walking throughout his ministry, what Mark continually communicates is that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the creator who showed up in the flesh who has authority over all things. And there are a series of stories, narratives that emerge that Mark is trying to communicate to us that shows the full authority of who Jesus is. That he indeed is 
the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came in the flesh to fulfill what the Scriptures have taught. And we see that as Jesus has authority over the winds and the waves. The weather systems are submitted to Jesus. Not not just that, but physical health is submitted. Disease, in fact, listens to Jesus and responds. Demons listen to Jesus and respond. And the reason is he has all authority. And he has authority over all things. There is a tension. And the tension on one side is the kingdom of the world, and the tension on the other side is the kingdom of God. And we are constantly faced with this tension in our own lives of what's it going to be? Will we care more about what's on the outside, or will we address what's on the inside? Will we be honest in the matter and allow the Spirit of God to have His way? As Jesus uh, uh, brings His disciples into this situation, they're confronted And they're confronted by religious leaders, and the the religious leaders basically say this, why, why on earth would your disciples eat without washing their hands? Don't you know that cleanliness is next to godliness? I added that part, but that's the idea, right? Well, it's a little bit more than that, because there are a series of ceremonial um, rituals that they would go through to make sure that they're clean, they're not passing any disease. Uh, they would also take time to, uh, to identify who God is in their lives. And this was this ritual that they would go through. And Jesus' disciples didn't seem to do that. They're just kind of grabbing and going, as it were, as it relates to this meal. And they're saying, well, wait a minute, they're defiled. And Jesus immediately jumps on that very issue. That Uh, just because something is clean on the outside doesn't mean it's clean on the inside. And and we'll watch and see as Jesus moves through this narrative, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. So let's go ahead and look at Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribe ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? How could they do that? And he said to them, well... Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, you actors, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Let's, let's just pause there. Uh, by the way, in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, there is an opportunity to offer your things to God. It seems like a really nice thing to do, right? Like, that's a good thing, to give your things, your stuff to God. You have the ability to do that. But what was happening is people were living in this tension of, okay, this stuff isn't mine. It's either going to my parents, I'm, I'm going to use it to, get, to care for them, or I'm going to give it to God. Wouldn't I look better if I gave it to God? Also, the tension furthers itself in this respect, that once they give it to God, uh, they have freed themselves from caring for their family. So it makes life a little easier for them. And it's all kind of hidden behind this spirituality, 
this sense of godliness that denies the power thereof, an ignoring of God's word to address a tradition of man. And by the way, the religious leaders are encouraging it, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Jesus is stating, uh, you're more concerned about a washing hands, a specific way that, that our elders kind of made up. Meanwhile, we're missing the point. That doesn't seem right. These things are going on and you're justifying it. So let's address it. And that's what he does. What would be not a good thing? It would be, uh, actually, I think it would be very sad, disappointing. If we didn't pause right now and ask if there are some traditions that we've allowed to get in the way of God's word. Now, we could go down a lot of roads, and, and we have. We've talked about uh, human sexuality. We've talked about gender. Uh, we, we've talked about a lot of things together, what marriage is. And those are important things. But I, I think sometimes we need to step back and look at other issues. Uh, issues that maybe have been around for a long time. And so I'm, I'm going to highlight a few, and uh, I brought out my pulpit to hide behind in case anybody throws things. Here's the first one. Consumerism and materialism. Consumerism and materialism. Someone said, well, uh, consumerism and materialism really speaks to the golden rule. And I said, well, you mean uh, to treat others as you would like to be treated? And they said, no, he who has the most gold rules. That's the golden rule. Well, that is consumerism and materialism. It's the heart of discontent. I can't have enough. I need more. And it speaks to and allows us to hide behind satisfaction without God. Oh, if I could just have this more things, this more stuff, if I could just have it here, I would be more satisfied. And I don't even need God for that. It helps us to hide behind significance. If I have the newest things, if I have the best stuff, then people will see me a certain way it, it speaks to security. Mm, if I have the latest, greatest this, the most expensive that, then I will be secure. And we don't even need God for that. Materialism and consumerism that speaks to this heart of discontent is alive and well in our culture. And sometimes we put that tradition above God's word. And it requires some repentance. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Consumerism and materialism speaks to the fact that our heart is in the world and not in the kingdom of God. And if that is the case, it requires repentance. Materialism and consumerism is perhaps one tradition that in the United States we adhere to in ways that maybe is not true in other parts of the world. But another one might be individualism, that we can, we're more concerned about ourselves than ourselves in relationship to our community. One of my daughters, who is uh, our our fifth born, five out of seven. She had four siblings above her that liked to communicate for her and do things for her. 
Sometimes they were things she wanted communicated and things she wanted done, but not always. In fact, I remember as she was putting sentences together, one of her first sentences that she spoke was this, I do it me own self. <laughs> I do it me own self. Uh, well, you can appreciate that from uh, a little girl who's, <laughs> who hasn't had a voice and who people are doing things for. But we sometimes bring that into adulthood. In fact, sometimes we bring that into our own spirituality as if we will do things our own self. We don't need other people, and we certainly don't need God. We, we would not ever use those words, but in practice and principle, we absolutely do. Individualism. I don't need others, and others don't need me. But that is actually not what the Scriptures teach us. We're told in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We have a responsibility together. In fact, uh, one of the ways that God seems to work within the church is he puts us together, that we are a body, that we do things better together, that we have a greater impact united and together. There is more of this uh, kingdom of God that functions in ways that are beautiful and magnificent and amazing, but it functions when we're together. Individualism might be a tradition that we've had in the United States, but it's certainly should never trump the word of God. Okay, here's the one you were waiting for. Political ideologies. <laughs> Political ideologies. Do they sometimes get in the way of God's word? Is it possible that at times we say, my party does this or has this platform, and that somehow we allow, we justify, we accept to the exclusion of God's word, where we are more willing to embrace attitudes, actions, behaviors, thoughts, mentalities, because it's our party verse. It reflects the holiness and goodness of God. If so, that requires repentance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. One of my friends uh, who is a pastor out west, he would say this, you should absolutely serve. You should absolutely serve uh, in, in um, a, a civil way. In other words, an elected office. If God calls you to that, you should absolutely do that. You should do it in a way that honors God. You should do it in a way that serves your community. And th that's wonderful. But then he said this. And yet, there is no party, not Democrat, not Republican, that has ever saved a soul. That is the unique work of Jesus the Christ. And we would do well to remember that. Has public ideology, political ideologies gotten in the way of God's word? All right, now that I've offended most people, let's keep moving and look at the next two. What defiles a person comes from within, not from external sources? Uh, 
Evagrius Pontus was a fourth century saint. He sounds like he should be in Star Wars, doesn't he? Evagrius Pontus. Uh, uh, Joel, is he? I think Joel's in here somewhere. Nope. Okay, thanks. Joel Farber. This is between us, okay? But Joel Farber loves Star Wars. You can give him a hard time about that. Uh, Anyways, Evagrius Pontus, he said this. Uh, He is one of the early movements in the monastic uh, movement, or one of the early um, fathers of the monastic movement. And what that means is they went from the cities out into the desert places. They went to the desert places not for retreat, but rather in a place where they were not safe, in a place where they really, uh, they submitted to, to suffering in ways that they didn't in the city. There was protection in the city. There were wells in the city. There were markets in the city where they could get food. Uh, out in the desert, they didn't have that. And they learned to trust God in some unique ways. Well, Evagrius wasn't there long when he, when he coined the phrase, the eight evil thoughts. Because Evagrius said that these eight evil thoughts come from within and it doesn't matter what's going on out in the world. He identified these thoughts this way. He said, I struggle with gluttony. Now, he had this porridge that he had every day. This porridge was just a bowl full. It was just enough to get him through the day and nothing more. But he struggled with gluttony. That doesn't sound like gluttony, but his heart struggled with, I just, I just want all that. I can't wait to eat it. I'm going to consume this quickly. He struggled with lust. He said, well, wait a minute, there are no women around me, and yet I struggle with lust because this is coming from within. These are evil thoughts. They're they're not from without. He struggled with greed. He struggled with sadness. He struggled with anger, with slothfulness, with vainglory, with pride, and he called these the eight evil thoughts. Not long after that, one of the Western church fathers, Gregory the Great, uh, he identified those things and he kind of broke them down. He said, wait wait a minute, those aren't just thoughts. Those are also actions that we can have. And he called them the seven deadly sins. Putting them together, he identified them as lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. But he said that those, those are the actions from what was going on internally. It's important for us to note that what defiles a person comes from within, not from these external sources, as we're going to see in this passage that Jesus tells us about. Verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Remember, the uh, the, the leaders in Israel are saying, wait, their hands are dirty. They're being defiled because they're eating with dirty hands and then they're consuming it. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his, disciple ask, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, uh, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. And thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Uh, Jesus goes on to say that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, recognizing that 
uh, what defiles us is what's inside, and we have these internal struggles that come from within. They're not external or not just caused from the external. They're from the internal, and we have to beware of those. Finally, Jesus takes us to this third movement in this passage, and that is that the heart is the source of all evil action. It's actually a matter of the heart. It's not because of the situation you're in. It's not because of uh, the bad hand you were dealt. It's actually because of our heart. And you might say, but that person is so good-hearted, or sometimes I just have to trust my heart. No, don't do that. That is a bad plan. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things. One translation says, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Nobody. In fact, sometimes we can deceive ourselves with our own heart. We have to be careful and be cautious. Jesus addresses that uh, throughout this passage, but in verse, uh, in verse 21, he picks it up and he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. And Jesus is identifying something uh, that we would like to overlook, and that is that there is something originating within us, this broken image of God that causes the sin. It's from within, and be careful. We can be in a lot, of dis- a lot of situations. Those situations don't define us. It's what's happening within. It's the why. Why did I get angry when somebody cut me off? Why did I view that person this way? Why would I condescend with my words this way? Because the heart is the source of evil actions. So what do we do about that? What do we do? Let me, let me give some suggestions. This isn't going to be up on the board, so you're going to want to perhaps write these down or give yourself a, a, a message in your notes on your phone. But let me identify a few things. Uh, here's the first one, Psalm 119.11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's one thing that we can do to address this heart issue is hide God's word in there. Not just a cursory reading of, oh, that was good. I think I remember some of it, but to read it with the idea that we're going to hide it in our heart, that we might not sin against God, that, that God would use his word in a way that would help us, guide us, direct us. So what are we going to do to keep our actions from evil? Well, we're going to lean into the spirit and hide God's word in our heart. Colossians 3.16 says I don't, a little bit differently. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So we see that there is a necessity to dwell in Christ. Not just that, but also to teach and admonish. To worship through songs. There's something about um, the ability to memorize things when we sing it that is helpful in the spiritual walk. And so we need to embrace that. So we dwell in Christ, we, we teach one another, we receive one another as it relates to the word. 
Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So our thought life has to be uh, reflected in this. How would our thought life be reflected in it? Well, think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on those things. Let your mind dwell in there. Earlier, we talked about uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Uh, we, we want to trust the Lord. God, I'm going to trust you for this. It's not what I want to do. It's not where my heart is leading me, but it is where your word is leading me, and your word is greater than my heart. So I'm going to trust you for this. Because we recognize just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. And in fact, our hearts are desperately wicked and can lead us astray, and we, we need God's transformative work in our lives. And so everything that we've talked about so far depends on this one thing, and that is a relationship with the Lord, uh, that, that we would be in right relationship with God, that we would have trusted the Lord as our Lord and Savior, that we would have said, Lord, there, there, there is wickedness in me. I have sinned against you. I have, uh, I have been your enemy because I chose to be your enemy. And Lord, empowered by you, I am repenting of this. I'm confessing that as sin. I'm repenting, and I'm following you. And that, that might look like a prayer if this prayer is sincere, if this prayer is followed in action, motivated by the Holy Spirit. It, it might be like this. Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me. Forgive me, Almighty God. Holy Spirit, indwell me. Convict me of sin. Help me to repent and follow you in all my ways. Amen. It may be that simple, the words, but the actions, that's because of a transformation, not behavior modification. So in just a few moments, the worship team's going to come out, and as they come out, we're going to prepare for communion. In preparing for communion, I want to go through these three questions with you. The first one is this. Is there a tradition in your life that is lifted above God's word? Uh, you, you may have to really consider that and ask the Spirit of God to address that in your life. Uh, I recognize that consumerism, materialism, as much as I would like to say that is not a part of my life, I recognize that there have been times where I have been greedy and reserved those things for me and not been willing to serve others in Christ's name with those things. That was worth repenting of and following Jesus. There, but I needed my eyes opened, and that took the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the Holy Spirit needs to open our eyes to something else. Two, evaluate the conversations that you have had over the last week. So what are some of the conversations, and with whom have you had these conversations? Were they just pure, lovely, good, virtuous, and filled with praise? That's a good identifier of have, have we strayed away? What's going on in our hearts? Or has there been gossip? Has there been anger? Has there been some uh, mean-spiritedness laced in those conversations? Might be an identifier. Three, what are ways to fill your heart with good things? How can we fill our hearts with things that are just pure, lovely, good, virtuous, and filled with praise? Let me suggest 
a couple of things as uh, we prepare our hearts for communion. One, to be faithful in reading his word and studying. Two, be faithful in prayer. Spend some extended time in prayer with the Lord. And relationally, talking to him and listening. Three, engage in spiritual disciplines of memorizing God's word and also in fasting. Uh, fasting and prayer is a powerful tool for the believer that helps us as we get off track to calibrate right to the Lord. And four, have accountability and fellowship with others. Have accountability and fellowship with others and watch and see what God will do. Communion is uh, an institution given to us by the Lord, or rather the, the Lord instituted it. In him instituting it, he is calling us continually as we come together uh, to a heart attitude of repentance. Is there any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed? And then to confess that, you don't need to go into a booth to do that. You can do that to the Lord, but it may require you confessing that to someone else, perhaps someone that you've sinned against. If so, we encourage that. To confess that sin, to repent of it, and to follow the Lord. And then we're free to participate in communion. Communion is for the believer, the one who is surrendered to God and uh, uh, is choosing to follow the Lord as he's calling us to himself. At Friendship, we have four stations in this room. We encourage you, as you've taken some time, to, uh, to seek the Lord, to quiet your heart before the Lord as perhaps you've had to confess and maybe even repent, that you would then have the ability to stand up, go to the carpeted areas and go to the station nearest you, to return back to your seat in the outer aisle, uh, and then at the end of this next song, we'll participate together. Would you join me as we pray? We love you, and we thank you and praise you, O Lord. We ask that you would be exalted and lifted up in all we do and say. We recognize that just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. In fact, sometimes, Lord, we, we would even hide behind those outward appearances. Maybe that we have it all together. Maybe that we're somehow better than we really are. We recognize that at times there have been traditions that have gotten in the way of your commands. That there have been times, Lord, that we have blamed exterior sources for interior problems. We recognize, Lord, that our heart constantly needs calibrated to you. And so we would ask even today, even as we prepare for this communion, that you would prepare our hearts for you. In Jesus' name, amen.